Please stand for the reading of God's word from Exodus 16, 1 through 31, and verse 35. Because this is a longer text, the words will be projected on the screen behind me. They set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the fifth day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out of this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people should go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them, whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, and in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat and the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling that you grumble against him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, At twilight you shall eat meat, and the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. In the evening, quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning dew lay around the camp. When the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. When the people of Israel they said, saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it each one of you, as much as he can eat. You shall each take an omer according to the number of the persons that each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered some more, some less, but when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. And Moses said to them, Let no one leave any of it over until morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning they gathered it, each as much as he could eat. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. On the sixth day they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, This is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake, and boil what you will boil, and all that is left over lay aside to be kept till the morning. So they laid it aside till the morning, as Moses commanded them, and it did not stink, and there were no worms in it. Moses said, 
Eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain, each of you, in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. Now the house of Israel called its name manna. It was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. The people of Israel ate the manna 40 years till they came to a habitable land. They ate the manna till they came to the border of the land of Canaan. This is the word of God for the people of God. God. You may be seated. Good morning again and welcome. I'm Travis. I'm the pastor here. It's good to be with you today. If you are uh, just joining us for the first time, thanks again for being with us today. We're glad to get to know you a little bit. Let me encourage our CTK regulars uh, on our way out today or at the social time in the back to please say hello to someone that you don't recognize, uh, even if it's to introduce yourself after a painfully long awkwardness where you should know their name, but you don't. Feel free to do that today. Let the bagels fill you with the courage uh, to do that. Um, We are continuing uh, in our series in the book of Exodus, which if you're just joining us, we've been calling Out of Darkness into Light, focusing on the ways that God delivered his people out of soul-crushing oppression, slavery, and genocide into light Um, into the light of life with him, not just out of those things and into nothing, but into something new. And we've been focusing on that so we might see the ways that God does that with us, the ways that he draws us out of all the things that are difficult in our lives, whether done to us or done by us, that we might have new life with him. Now, last time around, if you were with us, we focused on the first steps that Israel takes out of slavery into the light of freedom as a redeemed people, and they were difficult steps. This is Israel up against the Red Sea, up against the greatest army in the world at that time, and yet we saw how God led them out there on purpose to meet them there, to show them that he is God out there, even in the places we feel like he can't be there. This week, we're looking at not just God's deliverance of his people from those that might pursue them, from from things they didn't expect, but we're looking at, at how the story pivots away from that main act of bringing people out to now starting to bring people in, into that light of relationship with God, not just out of the darkness of the past. And a lot of this is going to happen in the wilderness, in a place that's unfamiliar, a place that's difficult, it's inhospitable, it's not welcoming you into life. It is a place where a lot of life is not there. And we're going to see how God draws them through many things to become a people of light in this exact context. That it's in the wilderness where God brings them into light in ways that they don't expect, but that's a hard process. It was a hard process for them. It's a hard process for us. It's the kind of experience that makes you want to cry out and say, God, what are you doing here? Why am I here? Why couldn't you have just left me where I was, even though it was difficult? At least I knew what to expect. But we see that even in the midst of that crying out and the ways that we cry out, that God is still gracious and patient 
and powerful. Even when we struggle to make that transition out of our old way, out of our old life into something new. And today we're going to look at one of the great events of the wilderness time of Israel, the manna and the quail. Manna is literally just the Hebrew word for saying, what is it? Which if you have the Jesus Storybook Bible for kids, they say the people of Israel called it, what is it? Because that's a perfectly good name when you don't know what something is. You say, what is it? So this is the what's is it bread. That's what they ate for a long time and the quail which they knew. But this is the bread from heaven. This is the meat that God provided in the midst of his people grumbling. Not just a purely unsolicited generous act, but God being generous when his people are being grumpy. I don't know if you're anything like me, but it is difficult to be generous to people who are being grumpy. Hmm? Mm Mm-hmm. Right? It's difficult to do that. And yet we're going to see how God is gracious still. I want us to see how how this event speaks to our own spiritual condition, to the ways that we are grumpy and grumbling, how God is moving us out of darkness and into light by answering just two questions. Why does grumbling happen? Why why does Israel grumble? Why, Why do we grumble in connection with that? And then two, how does God respond to our grumbling? when we're just irritated and grumpy and frustrated with life. Why does grumbling happen? How does God respond to that? Now, before we get into those things, I'd invite you, let's pray one more time. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's ask God to be present with us here. Father, we're opening your word, the story of who you have been for a long time. And yet it's difficult to find ourselves feeling like we fit into this page, maybe. That we find it difficult to feel like you're hearing us, like you're answering, or maybe we feel it all too easy to find ourselves on this page, that we do feel grumpy and frustrated and just not feeling like we are where we want to be with you, even very far from you, perhaps. But you know where each of us are this morning in the way that I don't, so I pray that you would be here this morning by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would move in and amongst each one of us, that we might hear from you this morning, that we might be changed, that we might in some small way come a little bit out of those shades of darkness and a little bit more into shades of light where we, we are transformed somehow just by you being present, by you touching the parts of our hearts that we didn't know we needed healing in. Maybe we didn't want healing in, but I pray that you would do that this morning because you know what you're doing even if we don't. So would you come now? Would you be that bread of heaven that opens up our hearts and our lives, that nourishes us? In your name we pray, amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, feel free to have those open. If you don't, there should be one in the pew in front of you. Uh, We're going to go back through the text a little bit together this morning as we go. What we're going to start with, with talking about why grumbling happens, which is really the early part of this chapter. Uh, They are 30 days into the Exodus. This is is the first month of being a free people. That's what the 15th day, they left around the 15th day of the prior month. So we're 30 days in to a brand new existence. You've been slaves for 430 years. You've been free people for one month. You don't quite know how to do this yet. You're in a new place that's unfamiliar, doing unfamiliar things. All of this is new. That's what this time sequence tells us. They are a people that are in a new context doing brand new things, and it's all unfamiliar to them. And yet there are still some things that are are sticking with them from where they were, right? Maybe you can identify with that. You're in something new. You're in a new place, new city, new job, new relationship, whatever it might be. There are still some some parts of you that feel like, ah, that's me. That's the old system. It doesn't quite fit here, even if I'm not sure what to do here. I know that some of those things don't work. 
And so they come to this desert, this, this wilderness of sin, which isn't about the action, it's sort of near Sinai. Uh, it's, it's named appropriately with that. But they come to this wilderness place where some of these things start to get exposed, that they don't know what they're doing, and yet they still feel like those old ways apply and they're just not fitting. And so verse 2, they start grumbling. They get frustrated and they complain. Now, the text doesn't give us any indication that they were facing a problem, right? They had faced before at the Red Sea the attack of Pharaoh. They have their backs to the sea. In front of them is an army. That's a time to cry out and be afraid. That's a time where you could say, God, what are you doing? Help me here. They had just before had some water that they couldn't drink, and God changed the water so that it was actually miraculously potable water, something that they could drink. And here we don't have any indication that there was any reason for them to be afraid or concerned. So they're complaining in a context where there isn't fear. Rather, verse 3 says, they long to be back at the meat pots of Egypt. Meat, again, as we had talked about in the Passover, was a luxury at that time. It wasn't a commonplace thing that you had all the time. It's not saying that they had no food. That's not why they're grumbling. It seems to be that they're saying, we want better food. We want food like they had Back in Egypt, we want the luxurious food. Yes, we're free, but what good is it if I can't have an experience like that? What good is my freedom if I can't have something awesome to do with it? Why are we out here, God, in the desert? This was not part of the plan. Amen, right? You can see the why that comes at the core of their grumbling when we, when we see what they're grumbling about. That They're grumbling about extras, They're grumbling about fancy meals. They're grumbling about those things that are just a little bit nicer than what they have. And in that, it seems that the reason they are grumbling is because God isn't meeting their expectations. They're frustrated because God's idea of deliverance does not look like their idea of deliverance. Deliverance, freedom, in their mind, meant something other than going through an unpredictable wilderness where you weren't sure what would happen tomorrow and when you didn't know how to find things that really made you excited, things that made you feel alive and vibrant. That, didn't, that was not deliverance in their mind. In their mind, deliverance seems to look like living like their masters used to live, living like the Egyptians used to live, having money, power, comfort, control, success, acceptance, having the social run of things where you got to say what things were going to be like. Deliverance in their mind looked like becoming masters, like those that they had just left. It looked like simply switching places, having the position of those who used to oppress them, having all those things that they used to watch them enjoy, the things that they wanted, Israel now seems to want that they have picked up habits, they've picked up desires from the people that oppress them. And they want those things, what their old masters have, whether God is there in them or not. It seems they're expressing an attitude that, that is, we don't really care so much, God. Thank you that you brought us out of that. I mean, a huge thank you, right? So many thanks, just appreciate you. But 
not as excited or interested in you being here now. They are much more a service-oriented people. We hired God as a great contractor, would absolutely recommend him. Go on Angie's list. He's really great at delivering you out of slavery and oppression. All the recommendations, five stars. But do you, do you want him in your life? Do you want who he is, Israel? Not so much. They're grumbling because God isn't delivering on their terms where they would be in the driver's seat, where they are the employer, where they are the master, where they say what's what, and God fulfills all those things. He's not giving them a life of comfort like the Egyptians had, at least not yet. He promised he was going to take them into a land overflowing with good things, but this is not that time. They're not ready for that yet. And so they're grumbling because their expectations, their hope of what they want from God is stronger than their desire for God. That's why they're frustrated. They're not frustrated because they don't have God's presence. It's very clear God has never left them in this time, especially not in the wilderness. They're frustrated that they don't have the things that they want from God. I can relate to that. Maybe you can relate to that. Is that you? this morning. Do you have a different idea of deliverance than God has? Is your idea of deliverance more about God freeing you up to have what you want from Him rather than having Him? Is that true of you? Is that where the frustration is? Are you longing for that that comfort control, power, achievement, uniqueness, fun, status of someone else's life. A neighbor, a friend, someone on social media, one of your classmates. You want that even if God is not there. It might be easy to see that in your life when when that thing just isn't coming, when that thing is taken away from you if you had it, and you are deeply angry and bitter with God. Because what you wanted most was that thing and not him. It's easy for us to do. I'm not trying to stand up here in a position as someone who doesn't do this. I'm standing right there with you. This is easy for us to do. We grumble against God because his deliverance from darkness to light doesn't look the way we think it should look. It doesn't happen on the timeline we think it should happen, and it's certainly not under our control. We're frustrated. We get frustrated because he isn't being God according to our rules. That's it. That's why we grumble. Because God isn't being God according to our timelines, our rules, our desires. And I want to be clear that I'm not saying that we can't lament real difficulties and pains and hardships in your life. Israel did that. Exodus 2, they cried out in the midst of suffering and oppression and God heard them. This is not that context. They are not facing fear here. They're not facing oppression here. They're facing just frustration with their circumstances, that they aren't as nice as they would like them to be. It's not as smooth as they would like it to be. They don't have as much control. They don't have as much sense of where they're going as they would want. They want to be like Egypt still. They're physically out. Spiritually, they are still there. They want to have that life. And they doubt, and we doubt, (laughs) that the wilderness is the way to get that. And it's not surprising that we would grumble when we find ourselves out in the wilderness and life isn't looking the way we expect it to. 
Because honestly, the wilderness is not, the wilderness is not the way to you getting what you want. God is not taking us to the edge of our expectations and our frustrations so that we get what we want. That's not where you find what you want. You're right. You're right to be frustrated and grumble if that's what you expect, but that's not what God's doing with that. Because the wilderness is the way to what you need. It's not the way to what you at least think that we want. It's the way to actually, verse 12, know God. This is what he says. These things will happen that you might know that I am the Lord. We've been talking about that for several weeks, that God's interest is that people would know him, have a relationship with him, not know things about him, not get things from him, but know him, be in relationship, have a face-to-face, I know you, you know me kind of interaction with God. Not some kind of transaction. The question is, the essence of the testing of the manna is, do you really want God or do you just want something from Him? That is where Christianity gets real hard. Do you really want Him if none of these other things work out? That's what the book of Job is about. Basically, one long unfolding of this one idea. If you get nothing from God, do you still want Him? That's what's happening out here in the wilderness. This testing is, do you want me? You want me or are you here for my stuff? If this was a dating relationship, God might be asking, I am very wealthy. Yes, I have a yacht. It is a very big yacht. Do you want to be with me or do you want to be on the yacht? Right? Spiritually, a lot of times we want the yacht. It would be nice, right? Who's going to argue with that? It would seem nice. I hear the upkeep is hard. Uh, But that's the question that this is about. Do you want me or do you want my stuff? Do you want relationship with me because I want relationship with you? I'm not about your stuff. Your stuff is garbage, right? Your stuff is trash. I want you for you. Do you want me for me? That's what the wilderness is asking us when we go through that, when our expectations aren't being met. We'll always grumble when what we want most is something from God rather than God. But the good news is that we might grumble, we might be frustrated, we may not see that, that what we want, that what we expect isn't the way to true and deeper flourishing. It's not the way to what we need. We don't see that. But God, despite the fact that we don't see it, is still committed to leading us to what we need. He's committed to having us have Him, even if that's not what we want right now. Even if knowing what we know right now, we wouldn't choose it for ourselves. That's the story of Exodus. That God is leading his people not to what they want, but to what they need to know him, to have those deeper desires met. Even when they're grumbling at him and saying, this is stupid, you don't know what you're doing, you have completely messed up. Even when they don't know what deliverance looks like, they wouldn't recognize it. If it hit him in the face, he's committed to bringing you there when you don't know what you're doing. Which brings us to how God responds to grumbling that we do, this this frustration that God's not being God on our terms. How does he respond to that? He doesn't respond like me. (laughs) He probably doesn't respond like you and praise God for that because he responds with grace. 
God responds to grumpy, grumbling people with grace. That in and of itself is supernatural. You want to talk about the provision of manna. You want to talk about quail coming out of nowhere every day. The fact that God responds to grumpy people that he owes nothing with grace, that is a miracle. Who does that today? Who responds to people that you owe nothing to, that are nothing but grumpy with you and ungrateful with more and more grace? We get hung up sometimes on the supernatural and miraculous when it comes to acts of God. This is no less an act of God that he would be gracious to grumpy people. Let me ask, does that God make you uncomfortable? That is more difficult to quantify than that God would miraculously just make something come to be, at least for me. Because that, I don't know how to do that. I'm learning how to do that. How do I be gracious to grumpy people? God responds to them with grace of doing the things that verse 11 and 12 talk about. It says, And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling, not the praise, right? I've heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, not, I will wipe you out, I'm done with you. What does he say? It says, at twilight, at evening, dinner time, you shall eat meat. You will have the extravagance you're looking for. And in the morning, breakfast, you'll be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord. God's actually giving them the bread and the meat that they had been grumbling about. The exact things that they said, can't we go back to slavery if we can just have that? But did you really have to take us out here just to not have the things that we thought we would have if we would be free, if we followed you, if we said yes to the things that you called us to? Verse 31 even says it was tasty. The manna was good. It was an impressive bread. This is Great British Bake Off, finalist kind of bread. This is a wow moment where the judges who should be impressed only with the best say, oh, okay, the honey wafer, nice touch. Right? God gives them the extras they were looking for. Not just extras, but miraculous extras that arrive in the morning and the evening without them working. It doesn't say, and then they went out and they gathered all this wheat that God miraculously made, and then they made their bread that God just gives them things that they could eat right then. He makes the quails appear. They don't go out and go hunting. He brings the quail to them. He gives them enough so that they don't have to go out and gather every day. He gives them enough so that this, this food that just drops in your lap is actually going to doubly drop in your lap on the sixth day so that seventh day you don't even have to leave your house to get food. You're just going to have enough. He gives an extra that they weren't even asking for in that in, in giving them rest. They were prepared to go back into slavery to get a good meal. God is prepared to giving them something that slaves never get, which is a consistent day off every week. They weren't even grumbling about that. They weren't even grumbling about the idea of rest, and God gives them something extra beyond what they were grumbling about. Why? You and I might feel like if we were the kids that were grumbling, if you are kids, or if you have kids that have grumbled or are grumbling, that this is bad parenting, that this is rewarding bad behavior with exactly what they were asking for, but it's actually not doing that. Because God's antidote to the grumbling of his people, to our grumbling even today, is not, is not shutting off our desires. It's not giving us 
a stern lecture. It's teaching us to find those desires most truly, deeply fulfilled in Him. That's what we're going to see here as we look at the text. He's doing that by, by giving them daily bread and doing that in connection with Him. He's doing that directly and miraculously by giving it to them through His hands, through His work, not their effort. At no point does this come about because they worked harder. He responds freely with grace, without price, with more than they knew to ask for. He's saying, you asked for these things. Actually, I'm going to change your whole categories and show you that you deserve a day off, that you deserve rest, that my people get rest. My people get not just the extras that they hope for, they get the extras they don't even know to ask for. His gracious act is the exact opposite. This is why it's healing for them. It's the exact opposite of those things that they were grumbling for in Egypt that those things represented. Where life there, flourishing was about control. It was about having it on your terms. You do things according to your way in your time, whether God is there or not. That's what they're grumbling for. Second, they're grumbling that it's not on their terms. Those things were about having their control. God, we want these things now. We want the extras now. Give it to us now. We should have had this. It's a month in. We've been very patient. We haven't complained for 30 days. Not true. But we've been patient. Give it to us now. It's not about their timing. And it's only because God is there. They have these things in connection with him. God makes that very clear by how these things work. If we look back at the text, these gifts, apart from God, collapse. They melt in the day when God lets it go. They rot if you keep them over. If you don't listen to what he invited you to do, if you don't have connection with him, that's what obedience is ultimately about, connection with him. Are you walking with him? Are you going where you're going? If you're not doing those things, the things fall apart when they're no longer connected to him. That's when they fall apart. That's when they break apart. That's when they turn into worms. In other words, he's showing them that these things, these desires are only good because he's there. They're only vibrant because he's animating them. They're only alive in connection with him. He's the thing that's breathing life into them. And he's responding like this so that they would be forced day after day to see that the things they're longing for are not an end in and of themselves. That actually if you take them apart from God and if you say, I don't care if you're in them or not, God, they disappear, they rot, and they stink. He's showing them face to face what is so deeply important for them is connection to him. He's the thing that's shining through in this. He's the good that they want behind all that. He's trying to show them what you want. It's not a bad thing. You want too little. I want to give you more and more than that. I want you to see that those good things are ultimately from and in me and that apart from me, you have no good thing, as the Scripture says. He's showing them what they want. If God's not in it, it is ultimately nothing. This is the principle of Scripture, that God makes everything out of nothing, and that if you take God away from that, what do you have? You drop back into nothing. It's in connection with Him 
that things come alive, and if it's apart from him, it's empty, it's worms, it's stink, it's slavery without a day off. God responds to their grumbling with daily bread because it gives him the opportunity to teach his people that he is ultimately what they need. They're going to have to keep coming to him. They're going to have to keep listening to him. They're going to have to get closer to him to do these things. He's the one who provides. He's what we actually desire. He's at the root of that. And he's willing to be that thing that we want and need to provide for us day after day and twice on Sunday, whether we desire it or not. That's the pursuit of God for his people in the heart of the gospel. This is God's generous response to our grumbling. He does these four things if we can tease them out. He gives daily provision meant to give us what we would otherwise miss as connection to him. He does it, too, in a way that we couldn't conceive of. Miracles and rest. They couldn't have conceived of those things. They didn't ask for those things. He does it to show us that he is the source of what we long for and to show us that he's going to be that source for us for free day in and day out in a continual way in the wilderness of all places where it's painfully obvious that he and he alone is the only one making this happen. This is how he responded to grumbling then. It's how he responds to grumbling now. In fact, this is, this is exactly what God was doing at the cross. If we looked back at us, he was, he was using our grumbling, our desire for something from him rather than him in our wandering in, in the wilderness that is metaphorically sin and separation from God. He was using that thing as the moment to do those exact same four things that he does in Exodus to provide something that we didn't know to ask for and would otherwise miss. Connection to God as the thing that ultimately fills us up, not all the things that we're chasing for happiness and fulfillment that are ultimately empty, that seem like they keep falling apart, they rot, they crumble, they're not dependable. He was going to provide something that we would not know to look for and would otherwise miss. Two, he was going to do it in a way that we couldn't conceive of, which was Jesus, God himself, dying for the sins of the grumpy on the cross to bring us, the grumpy, into true freedom while we were still working on cutting him out of the picture so we could just have what we want. Three, he was going to do that, dying there, not just to open our eyes to see that he's the source of of all life, which he was doing there, that, that life apart from him, as Jesus experienced being cut off from God on the cross, is only death and decay. It is the breakdown of your life when you are cut off from him. That's where sin takes us. But four, he was actually going to be that source of life for us, not just show us the way. Jesus is not just a good teacher. He is the way that carries you through into these things, whether you know how to find them or not. That He was going to be that true bread of heaven that would come down and nourish you and take care of you and bring you close so that you would see the desire that you have is actually him day after day in the wilderness. This is how the God of Exodus, the God of the cross, responds to grumbling and dissatisfaction. And because the cross is his final word on how he responds to us, even how he responds to our grumbling, if you know him, if you follow him in the wilderness, it's how he responds to your grumbling today.
He is graciously and patiently giving you daily provision that would give you what you would otherwise miss in a way you wouldn't conceive of, probably not on your terms, to show you that He's actually the source of what you long for, that those things apart from Him are nothing. They're empty, shallow. And to be that source for you, to be the one who keeps bringing you home. This is the heart of God for His people. For all who call on Him by grace yesterday and today and forever, that He is going to be gracious. He's even going to respond to your grumbling and dissatisfaction, your disappointments, with grace, with finding ways to draw you near so that you see Him. So you don't have less than what you should have. He's going to give you more, and it may not look like what you think, but it will be more. So by way of application and closing, I want to encourage us to do two things, to, to consider and to return, to consider just where are you grumbling right now? Maybe you've been thinking about that so far in the sermon, maybe it's been obvious to you, but, but where are you maybe upset that God is not giving you the life that you expected? You might say, sit down, friend, I can tell you. <laughs> You've got plenty to think about, but maybe it's not right on the surface. Where do you need to dig in a little more and say, where, where am I really actually grumbling with someone in my life? Where am I being kind of just short, ungracious with them because they're not meeting my expectations? That's not to say that we can't and shouldn't hold each other accountable to sin, but our are we gracious about those little frustrations, those things that God has actually provided for our needs, but our wants may not be being met as much? Are we gracious in that context? Are we grumbling at a circumstance, at, at our financial situation, at our health, our career, or maybe what we thought our career was going to be, at our school, at our relationships, at any of those places? If you don't know, ask someone who is close to you, and they may know. They may be able to share with you. Or, maybe more painfully, look at your social media. Look at your texts and your direct messages to friends. Where are you grumbling? Those things will probably show you pretty quickly. Or just look at the way that you talk to those who are closest to you. If you have a pet, look at the way you talk to your pet. If you're ever put on a hold system to reschedule a flight or something like that, the way that you say representative <laughs> into the phone may show you where you grumble in life. Consider where God is inviting you to have something freer, something that lets you have rest, and to see that, that what you desire, that, that can be found in Him. It may not be able to be found in this circumstance, but it can be found in him, where are you grumbling and return, secondly, from that grumbling? Return to the one who is not deeply disappointed that you've been grumbling, but who can't wait to say, here I am. I'm glad to have you home. If you've never come to him as the source of what you need, if you've been searching in all these places for things that you, that you keep finding eventually rot and disappoint and stink, come for the first time. Return while grace is right in front of you, while the manna is on the ground, so to speak, while grace is right in your face. 
And if you do know Him already, return to Him from, from, from all the things that you've been chasing. Return to Him as just wanting Him. God, whether or not you give me the things that I hope for, I just want to have you there. If nothing goes the way that I thought it would, I, I hope you are just there. Because if I didn't have you, there's so many ways that, that we want achievement, security, comfort, competence, power, peace, acceptance, fun, uniqueness, virtue, more than God. Return from those things. Those things are only alive in connection with Him. He is the source. So what do you need to let go of to come back to Him in those things? Where is God taking you to the wilderness a little bit in some of those things that, that you're finding you're not quite as unique as you thought you were? You're not having as much fun as you hoped to have. You're not achieving in the ways that you thought you would achieve. You're not secure. You're not comfortable. You're not competent in the ways that you thought you would be. Where is God calling you in those things? Not to tighten your grip on the steering wheel, but to relax a little bit. And to find him in the midst of that. To quiet yourself down from all the noise and listen for where he is moving. He's there. He's always there. He's the real source that satisfies and gives rest. Return to him. Let's pray. I'd like to leave a little space at CTK for, for you to talk to God on your own about some of the things we've just been talking about. Thanking Him maybe for, for the ways that He's given you more than you've asked for. That He's been gracious when you've grumbled. Or confessing the ways that, that you have grumbled at Him, even today, even this week. Or ask Him to lead you to Him, to find Him, to really have that something more, even if it's through the wilderness. Let's pray. God, we ask that you would hear these prayers and that in your grace, you would answer. Amen.